Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm New. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are out there. We sure are thankful for you. And we want you to know uh, that Radiant Church values you deeply. Now, Mother's Day is a little bit of a struggle for some of you, and that's certainly the case for different reasons. Just know, man, hey, we are praying for you, and we're asking God's peace to comfort you today, okay? All right, we are hitting the pause button on Kings and Kingdoms after today. We're going to come back to this series later on down the road with more stories and more lessons from the kings and kingdoms of Israel and Judah for sure. Uh, But today is the last in this series for right now. Now we started a few weeks ago with the scandal to end all scandals. They had everything, you know, had sex and murder and cover-ups, like you name it. And this affair between King David and Bathsheba had destructive ripple effects. We learned how important it is to follow God's leadership and be open to accountability so you don't fall victim to the mess that sin can bring. The more you try to cover it up, the mess and more out of control sin gets and the more people around you are affected by it. Well, then we learned about wisdom and how the lack of wisdom played a key role in King Rehoboam's fateful decision to ignore King Solomon's counselors. The kingdom became divided after that, right? So Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Uh, We walked through six important traits the wise possess from James chapter 3. If you want to live a life marked by godly wisdom, cultivate those traits in your life. Then last week, we spent time in prayer by putting the focus on two prayers King Hezekiah prayed in 2 Kings. When we pray, pray with confidence, okay, and pray with humility. Be careful not to give pride a foothold in your life. Always deflect praise to the Lord and give Him credit. We jump back to James again, James chapter 5, and we saw how in every situation we should be in what? We should be in prayer. Pray when you're in trouble. Pray when things are good. Pray when you're sick. Pray when you need forgiveness. Pray with faith and let God do the rest. Now today we're wrapping up with the figure I think is one of the most tragic in all of scripture. Uh, It's the last king of Judah, a man named King Zedekiah. Now his story is a case study in fear. Before we jump into it, let me just kind of set up what's going on, all right? So it's 586 BC. Babylon is the empire dominating the Middle East. The Syria is gone at this point. And Judah and Babylon, you know, they were allies during Hezekiah's day against Assyria. Now a little over 100 years later, uh, things are very different. Judah is a vassal state. Vassals paid a certain amount of tribute each year in exchange for limited freedoms and local governing authority by a king or a governor. King Zedekiah has, for the final time I should add here, rebelled against Babylon and refused to pay any tribute. He's actually hoping Egypt's going to come and bail him out and take care of Judah. But so far, that hadn't happened. And there's a prophet, uh, one by the name of Jeremiah, who has spent his entire life telling people about, you know, in Judah and Jerusalem, that the Babylonians are coming and they're going to destroy everything, including the temple. 
nobody's taking him seriously. Which by this point in the story, I always find appalling, you know, because about 20 years earlier in 605 BC, the Babylonians lay siege to Jerusalem and they forced the nobility into exile, taking them back to Babylon. In this first wave of exiles go people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Judah rebels again, in 597 BC, the Babylonians return and they depose King Jehoiachin and they install King Zedekiah as the new king. And they take the priests and the advisors and upper middle class type people with them back to Babylon. This time, Ezekiel would have been in that group of exiles that went to what is today Iraq. So far, Jeremiah has correctly predicted everything but the utter destruction of Jerusalem. So the people have seen all this violence occur. But since the temple still stood, they held out hope. They didn't trust God would actually destroy everything until he did. <laughs> because King Zedekiah rebels and he aligns Judah with Egypt, hoping to break free of Babylon once and for all. It doesn't work. Nebuchadnezzar lays a 30-month siege against Jerusalem that is so bad, people are literally eating each other to stay alive. So all during this time, Jeremiah is telling the people about, that the Babylonians will destroy everything, okay? But he says, too, if they defect to the Babylonians, they'll live. Now, that doesn't sound, you know, patriotic, right? You know, can you imagine somebody saying, hey, the Lord says if you defect to the Nazis, you'll live. But if you stay and fight, you're not going to make it. That's the kind of shock value it would have had in the people in Jerusalem back then. So Jeremiah is not well liked, as you could imagine. He's actually in prison for saying these things. And while the leadership would love to just execute him for what they consider to be treason, um, he has an ally in King Zedekiah. And I think it, this is part of what makes him so tragic. Zedekiah knows something uh, to those prophetic words is true. You really get the sense that he kind of waffles back and forth a little bit between listening to God's instructions through Jeremiah and continuing his rebellion. In fact, I want you to listen to this exchange the two have. Jeremiah 38, verse 14. One day, King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah and had him brought to the third entrance of the Lord's temple. I want to ask you something, the king said, and don't try to hide the truth. Jeremiah said, if I tell you the truth, you're going to kill me. And if I give you advice, you ain't going to listen to me anyway. Now, we're at the end of what's been a constant struggle for, for Jeremiah. Nobody's listened to the words that he's been saying, even though they've all come true, just as the Lord said they would. And that includes King Zedekiah. So here's verse 16. King Zedekiah secretly promised him. Why secretly? Well, he's, there's fear. We'll talk about that here in a second. As surely as the Lord our Creator lives, I will not kill you or hand you over to the men who want you dead. So then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the Babylonian officers, you and your family will live, and the city will not be burned down. But if you refuse to surrender, you will not escape. And the city will be handed over to the Babylonians, and they will burn it to the ground. Verse 19, But I am afraid. There's that key word. To surrender, the king said, for the Babylonians may hand me over to the Judeans who have defected uh, to them. And who knows what they'll do to me? And Jeremiah replied, you won't be handed over to them if you choose to obey the Lord. Another key phrase. Your life will be spared and all will go well for you. So why does Zedekiah, despite knowing Jeremiah's words have been true, uh, struggle so much to do the right thing. You can, come up with a, uh, you can come up with a lot of different answers for that, but it all comes back to what I was saying just, just a minute ago. 
he's afraid. Zedekiah is deeply afraid, and that fear is crippling him, which that's what fear does, right? Fear cripples us. It cripples our decision-making. It cripples our relationships, our spirits. There isn't much God can do through you, in you, even for you, when you have fear. When we're afraid, we make foolish choices, too. We'll, we'll choose what's convenient or what might lessen the pain that we're experiencing. The one thing that we're not going to do when we're afraid, we're not going to choose the right option. And here's what makes fear even more difficult for us to battle. We'll often give in to our fears, believe it or not, because we're putting other people ahead of ourselves. That sounds kind of, you know, a little, little crazy, but follow me here. Zedekiah is not thinking just about himself. He's thinking about his family and what's best for them. You know, in ancient history, you didn't allow a defeated king's sons to live. If you let one son live, it would give that defeated kingdom hope. It would give the people reason to fight on. There could be no heirs, like none. So every son, whether a few months old or 30 years old, would be killed. That was par for the course. And Zedekiah knows that. He's thinking about the fate of his family as much as he is about himself. And what happens to him at the end of the story actually only gives further evidence to that. So what Jeremiah is asking Zedekiah to do is to trust the Lord. Hey, king, I know, you know what happens when kings are defeated and you're thinking about all that, but I'm telling you, trust God on this one. Everything God has said has been right so far. You've got to trust him on this. Ultimately, fear is a distrust of God and his word. See, fear clouds our judgment, clouds our judgment. When our judgment's clouded, we can see the right thing to do. We just can't bring ourselves to do it. You ever had moments, maybe with your kids, where you just throw your hands up in the air, you know, and you utter those famous words, what were you thinking, right? You know, they, they, they knew what they should have done, but they had that empty-headed moment where they just blatantly did the wrong thing. Neville Chamberlain, he, he gets a lot of flack for being the British Prime Minister who, after meeting with an upstart German premier named Adolf Hitler, uh, famously remarked that there would be peace in our time. <laughs> when people first hear this story, the reactions are almost always the same. What was this guy thinking? What was going through with his head? And historians will tell you that Chamberlain's appeasement stance that did allow uh, Germany, one of many factors, to allow Germany to kind of rise and lead to World War II. But fear clouded Chamberlain's judgment. Fear of another war engulfing Europe, of losing another generation of young men on the battlefield that really clouded his judgment with, uh, with Hitler. See, fear creates a fog that we just can't see through. And what we do, we can't see clearly, is we try to make a best guess at what to do. We anticipate what might happen. We'll make choices without thinking things through. We'll convince ourselves it's the right move so we can avert, or at the very least, lessen the pain to what's coming. In the business world, it means you hire the wrong people or you write the wrong check. As a student, it means you, know, you do things you wouldn't normally do to get the upper hand on an upcoming paper or, or project, you know, like chat, chat GPT. Well, it's changing how papers are being written, isn't it? It's, don't use chat GPT out of fear, okay? Say no, say no there. In relationships, we're going to go too far. We'll spend too much. 
we'll, we'll do something that's just ridiculous because we're afraid we might lose this person forever. Am I talking to somebody here today? Like we're afraid of what life might be like without them. And so we make decisions we should never make to keep somebody close that we should actually never keep close. As a parent, we may helicopter our kids in an unhealthy manner. This one's tough because we live in a drastically different world than we did even three years ago. But the truth is, even with the best intentions as a parent, our fear can drive us to an unhealthy level of control and oversight. When fear clouds your judgment, you lose the ability to distinguish between a healthy amount of fear and an unhealthy amount of fear. Now, wait a minute. You say, like, Whoa, what's a healthy fear? Well, well Proverbs 9.10 says this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One results in what? Say it with me here. Good judgment, right? When you fear God, who has the power to create, to give and take away, to tell the oceans where to stop, and the heart, how many beats per minute it should go, you're in a healthy place. Fear of God is needed to build a solid foundation in your life. Now, notice how the author, who's King Solomon here, he says the foundation for wisdom starts with the fear of God. It doesn't start with knowledge or education or connection. Actions, it starts with a healthy fear of the Lord. You, you can't begin to cultivate wisdom in your life until you have this healthy fear of God. It forms the foundation of everything else that you're going to do. And then what does this fear of God do? It results in good judgment. Fear clouds your judgment, but fear of the Lord creates a foundation of wisdom, which brings clarity in your judgment. Now, fear does something else, too, that we see in the story with King Zedekiah. It redirects our focus. When I'm afraid, I, I can't live out my purpose in an effective manner. Have you noticed how fear robs you of your purpose? Instead of doing what I, you, know, you know that God's called you to do, instead of staying in your lane and being laser focused on what your role is, you're focused on fear. You know, I, 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 you get focused on all the what if scenarios. You've allowed fear to get inside your head. One of the reasons I love sports so much, aside from being very competitive, is that it, it mirrors real life, man. As an athlete, you can get in shape and gain muscle and work on your craft and develop your skill set, and you can still fail miserably at what you do. That's because in any game, skill and physicality, that's only part of what you need. There's a famous quote. Every coach on the planet has used this, this quote a thousand times ever. The game is what? 10% physical, 90% mental. But that's so true in every sport. But it's also how life works too. If you have your mind set on something, you can become whatever it is you're setting your mind to. Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinks, so he is. If you're focusing on fear and what you're afraid of, and what the results might bring or what may happen if this person is on your team or gets that job or whatever, you're opening the door for fear to take root in your life, pull you off your purpose and direct your focus to do something which is entirely out of your hands. So King Zedekiah should have been focusing on you know, negotiating with Babylon in the surrender of the city. After what would have been about a two and a half year siege, food's running out, people are eating each other. That's bad enough, right? Defenses are wearing thin. Judah's in a tight spot. He should have focused on returning to the Lord, repenting to God, asking, hey, for forgiveness and protection. I'm going to surrender. He should have done all those things. But instead, he's afraid and that fear redirects his focus away from what he should be doing towards the, you know, the very thing that God had warned him against doing in the first place. 
Jeremiah 39, verse number 4. When King Zedekiah of Judah and all the soldiers saw the Babylonians had broken into the city, they fled. They waited for nightfall. They slipped through the gate between the two walls behind the king's garden and headed towards the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonian troops chased them and overtook Zedekiah on the plains of Jericho. It's actually Megiddo, where Armageddon will take place. They captured him and took him to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who was at Riblah in the land of Hamath. And there the king of Babylon pronounced judgment upon Zedekiah. Look at verse 6. The king of Babylon made Zedekiah watch as he slaughtered his sons at Riblah. And the king of Babylon also slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. And then he gouged out Zedekiah's eyes and bound them in bronze chains to lead him away to Babylon. Meanwhile, the Babylonians burned Jerusalem, including the royal palace and the houses of the people, and they tore down the walls of the city. The only word I can use to describe that whole scene is tragic. The very thing King Zedekiah feared most, which is probably the main driver behind his decision not to listen to God's word and surrender, was his family's well-being. And yet the last thing he sees on this earth is the death of his sons. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar saved them uh, last for a reason. He knew the pain it would ca cause Zedekiah. He knew that Zedekiah feared this most. And he, he, he takes the, 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 his children from him. All this was preventable, you know. If Zedekiah had allowed fear not to cloud his judgment, if he had not allowed it to redirect his focus, I, I wonder sometimes if he had had thoughts about doing this all over again, if he had the chance to go back and relive those moments, would he listen to God? Or was he so crippled by fear that he convinced himself he would do the same thing just all over again? Just like sin has control of us, we, we don't ever have control of that. So too does fear. And if we can't defeat fear in our lives, it can lead to, you know, us to a place where relationships and our lives, our spiritual health, they're all just destroyed. If fear is distrust in the Lord and faith is placing our trust in Him, then how can we convert our fear into faith? Well, first we have to place our trust in Jesus. Billy Graham said this one time, anxiety is the natural result when our hopes are centered in anything short of God and His will for us. What's one of the great drivers of anxiety? Fear. You have a high anxiety because you're afraid. And often you're afraid of things which, which haven't occurred yet, which may not ever take shape. But just the thought of it puts you kind of over the edge. When we seek control of our destiny, when we can't accept things happen outside of our hands, right? It can lead to anxiety in our lives. But that trust we place in Jesus, that's a whole different story. When you trust God's will for your life, when you trust the Lord is in complete control, you set yourself up to walk in God's peace. Philippians 4 puts it like this. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything, okay? Don't give to, in, into anxiety. Don't give into fear. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Give those fears over to Him. Thank Him for all that He's done. In other words, remember how He's been there for you in the past. But also thank Him in advance for His protection and guidance in the future. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
You know, Moses often gets looked at as this great hero. We, we, we picture a guy like Moses and we think, man, like he, he knew how to lead. There's whole leadership lessons that, that use Moses as the, the focal point, you know. He was strong, he was tough, he was sure of himself. But if you read the, the story of the encounter that he had with God in the burning bush, Exodus chapters 3 and 4, you realize pretty quick, Moses was afraid. He was afraid he wasn't the right man for the job. He tells God no one's going to believe him. No one's going to accept him. He actually begs God in Exodus 4.13 to send anybody else but him. He's afraid to go back to Egypt after killing a soldier decades earlier. He's afraid of a speech impediment. God says, dude, take your brother with you. Let him speak for you. Moses actually offers so many reasons and excuses why he can't go and do what God's asking him to do. He exudes so much fear that Exodus 4.14 says the Lord became angry with Moses. He got on God's nerves, man. His fear was clouding his judgment and redirecting his focus. So God's anger actually built up. And he finally just kind of yells at him, I will be with you. <laughs> Get this picture oftentimes of God being calm and gentle. I'll be with you, son. But it doesn't read that way in the story. It's almost like God's yelling because he's angry at Moses, you know, and the fear and distrust that Moses is actually revealing and with all the excuses. So God promises to be with him. And eventually for Moses, that promise is actually enough. And he goes, now, I don't know what you're afraid of here today. I don't know what fears you've been battling, but I do know this, that Jesus is enough. I do know when you place your trust in him, when you finally lay down all the reasons and excuses as to why you can't trust God, why you can't do what he's asking you to do, fear dissipates and God's peace invades your life. But you have to get to a place where you firmly trust Jesus with all of your heart. If you want to convert fear into faith, you have to trust Jesus. But that's not a one-time thing. You have to make sure you stay close to God every day through prayer, through worship, through reading His Word. That sounds so basic for so many Christians. You know, if you're, if you're a believer watching this right now, listening, you're going to say, Pastor, I get it, nothing new here. Pray, read, worship, got it. Okay, yeah. Okay, but how often do you do it? Like, I don't care if you know to do it. Are you putting it into practice? Are you actually doing this every day on a regular basis? Because you can't depend on one little hour each week with your church community if you're coming here in person. You'll never survive that. A relationship with God is something you work on every day like you would your marriage. So take the time to pray. Psalm 34 says this, I, I what? I prayed to the Lord and he answered. He freed me from all of my fears. Look at that. Philippians 4, 6 says to tell God what you need. You're praying when you do that, right? Give those fears over to the Lord. Tell Him your fears. Tell Him all about your anxieties. Hand those over to Him. Let Him free you from their grip. Let Him give you peace. Jesus says you don't have what you're wanting because you're not asking God for it. If you want peace and not fear, then go to the Lord in prayer and ask God for that, right? You need to stay in God's Word too, though. What does God's word say about our struggles of fear? Well, there's one place in particular that comes to mind. Paul was writing to Timothy. Timothy pastors a church in, in Ephesus. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul pens this really famous verse, Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. There's some thought that Timothy was facing struggles as he led this church community. And as with many of us, you know, when we face struggles, that we can feel fearful and intimidated for sure. And maybe he had difficult people in his church 
Maybe he faced a lot of pressure from the Roman government or the culture of the day, whatever it was. Uh, the, the, the bottom line is he had fear. And so Paul reminds him, fear does not have its roots with the Lord. You know, God gives us his Holy Spirit who brings power and love and self-control or discipline. Sometimes I, I have to pull that verse out because I, I feel fearful. I feel intimidated. I feel anxiety about a decision or a fear creeping in. And I have to remind myself from God's word that he has not given us a spirit of fear, that he's ordered all of our steps, right? Like he's given us the Holy Spirit. So don't succumb to fear. Read the word of God and allow the Lord to encourage you. And then finally, you got to worship. Romans 12, 1. It's a pretty well-known verse among Christians in it. Paul writes this, Romans 12, 1, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. The idea behind being a living sacrifice is very crucial. Before Christ's sacrifice, the temple system was the, the primary way to worship God. And it required offering sacrifices to the Lord. Goats, sheep, bulls, doves, that kind of thing, you know. But Jesus changed the whole thing. He turned the system upside down. We're offering ourselves to God, living sacrifices. Every time you surrender to God and His will and His leading, you're offering yourself as a sacrifice, and it pleases the Lord. It's an act of worship. When I give... When I serve, when I share Christ, when I pray, when I obey God's word, when I do anything and everything for the Lord, I am participating in worship. And every time I worship, I cast fear aside. You know, when Israel's first king, a guy named Saul, was tormented by demonic spirits, he would call in David to play his harp. And as David played and worshiped, those spirits, they left. Our worship drives away fear. It drives away darkness. Why? Because we're lifting up Jesus. I've always viewed King Zedekiah as a tragic figure. I, maybe it's because of my father now, the thought of being in his shoes and having the last images on this earth be that of your son's deaths. I mean, that, just, that, that grips me today. I can't imagine what that would have been like. But all the more harrowing to me, what just feels so gut-wrenching, is this whole thing was 100% preventable. He couldn't bring himself to trust the Lord because he was a prisoner to fear. And I wonder today, like, what are you afraid of? Does fear have you? Are you in a situation like Zedekiah's where you know you should do the right thing? You know you should trust God. You know you should make this move. But fear has you in its grip. And you almost feel paralyzed. You're afraid for your marriage. You're afraid for your kids. You're afraid for the future. You're afraid for what tomorrow may bring and what this person may say or that person may do. Today, let that fear go. Trust in the Lord. Don't allow fear to cloud your judgment or redirect your focus. Trust in Jesus. Stay close to God. Convert that fear into faith and allow His peace to reign in your life. Let me pray for you here today. Father, I love you. Thank you for those who are watching and listening here today. Father, if there are uh, folks, if there are folks out there today, God, who are just, they're just imprisoned by fear, crippled by it. They can't make the right decision. They can't make the right move. They're afraid for their, their family. They're afraid for what holds, you know, what tomorrow holds. They're afraid for all kinds of things. Lord, I pray uh, that, that you would set them free from that fear today. I pray, Lord, that uh, they, they would put their trust in you. That as they put their trust in you, 
you would remove that cloud of that, that fear has put over their judgment. That you bring clarity. The Bible says you, were, you know, the enemy is the author of confusion. It's not you. And so I pray, Lord, there be clarity to their vision, clarity to their judgment. God, I pray as they trust in you that there is the peace of God that would rest on their hearts and their lives. Or they would, they would, they would accept that things are out of their hands. That's okay. You're in control. And you've got us. And because you've got us, we can trust that things are going to work out according to your plan of will for our lives. This is a safe place to be. Lord, I pray that they would, uh, they would make sure, God, that they are, they are staying close to you through prayer, through reading your word, through worship. And God, as they worship, Lord, lift your name up. Man, shine light where there's darkness. Drive away, uh, God, the enemy. Lord, I pray that as they read the scriptures, may it encourage them, may it lift their spirits, lift them up, God, for you. God, as they, as they pray and they, they, they tell you about their fears and their anxieties, they pour their hearts out to you. Lord, give them that peace and assurance they need. Father, I pray that we would not follow in the footsteps of Zedekiah. I pray, Lord, that we would trust in you and walk by faith and not be imprisoned by fear. We pray and ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.